Hey, this is Jared Wellman. I'm the lead pastor at Tate Springs, and this is our podcast. God is telling a story of hope and redemption. Hope and redemption. Redemption that can only be found through Jesus Christ. I hope that this is a blessing and inspires you to discover your part in God's story. Good morning, uh, and uh, I'm getting lots of feedback up here, I think from these speakers on the on the stage. But good morning, welcome to Tate Springs. I'm so glad that you're here. Go ahead and take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 8. Romans 8, 18 through 25, as we continue our uh, sermon series, as we pick it back up in this new year, when in Rome, when in Rome. And as you're turning there, let me tell you about uh, this 1980s movie called Labyrinth. Raise your hand if you've ever watched Labyrinth, or at least if you're familiar with it. All right, two of you have. All right, a little bit more than two. A little bit more than two. If you haven't watched it, it's a trip, all right? It's worth watching for that. I watched it as a kid, rewatched it the other day uh, as uh, an adult, just so that I can try to figure out what I had seen as a kid. All I remembered was this little caterpillar that had, you know, met the main character, Sarah, and said, come in, have a nice cup of tea, and meet the missus, you know, and, and I wanted to find out what that was all about. But uh, as I was re-watching it the other day, I, there was this exchange between Sarah, the main character, and Jareth, the antagonist, the bad guy, and he's the goblin king. He's stolen her son Toby, or her, her uh, brother Toby, and she's walking through the labyrinth, and she's gotta get into the middle of it so she can save him. I mean, it's totally realistic stuff. And as she's walking through there, they have this exchange, and she continues to walk through this maze and she continues to, to encounter issue after issue after issue and trial after trial after trial. And, uh, and then finally something happens and she says, that's not fair. And she kept saying that all the time. And then Jareth, Jareth, the goblin king, looks at her and he says, you know, you say that so often. I wonder what your basis for comparison is. And when he said that, it kind of it hit me. Uh, as I, because I was thinking about this, this passage, I was thinking about this text, and I realized and I thought that that interaction, that conversation, that statement from this, this uh, individual is a metaphor for our own trials, for our own situations, because in life, we often encounter various trials and sufferings, and we will often say, that's not fair. And I think it's warranted for someone to look at us and say, what is your comparison? What are you comparing that to? So I think it's an idea that invites us to reflect on what we use to compare the fairness of the trials that we are experiencing. And in Romans chapter eight, verse 18, Paul actually gives us the answer to that. Look there with me at verse 18. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Did you see that? not worthy to be compared to. So he offers us, when we are facing our own labyrinth, he offers us a state of comparison. So listen, at first glance, when we read this verse, this is a well-known popular verse in Christianity, Romans 8, 18. Whenever we read and we, we think about suffering in the context of a Christian worldview, we might be tempted to think, well, the problem is just the idea of suffering. That's a big problem, and it is a big problem. But it's not really the true tension that's happening in this passage. And listen, very carefully, it's not even the true tension that you're going through in your life. So if you're suffering today, we've had a couple of deaths over the weekend in our church family. We have people suffering. We have a lot of people who are in and out of the hospital right now. We have people who are sick. 
people who have lost loved ones. There's a siren going off right now. Things are happening in this world. And, and the thing is, when it comes to the idea of suffering, sometimes we think, well, that is the big problem. In fact, philosophers, Christian and otherwise uh, secular, will often debate the, the, what's called the problem of evil. And, and essentially, people will come to say, well, if God truly exists and he could do something about evil or he would do something about evil, but he hasn't, so therefore God doesn't exist. Those are the kinds of things that are, that are leveled against God sometimes. And so we think, well, suffering exists so God can't, and we think that's the big problem. That's not the big problem in the world. The big problem is not about suffering because in our passage, God already gives us the answer to trials and the answer to suffering. So we already have the solution to that. The problem is in the waiting while we suffer because we suffer while we wait. And so we are in this, this kind of process, this life where we are waiting and we suffer while we wait. And that's actually the problem that Paul wants to talk about today because he tells us that there's this thing in front of us called glory. And so let me illustrate. Imagine with me for just a minute that all of us got courtside seats to the Dallas Mavericks for this coming week. And you would just be like, man, that is the best thing. I know what all of you would think. That's the best thing that could possibly happen to me this week. And, uh, and so you know, and maybe you've never even had courtside seats to the Mavericks, but you just know it's gonna be amazing. I mean, Luka Doncic is gonna be like an arm's length away. And you're just gonna be like, he's right there, you know, NBA greatness. And, uh, but you know it's coming, but in the meantime, you have to sit in the nosebleeds. You know, you have to sit in the far back and, uh, and you have to, and you know that, man, it's there and I know it, and it is a, a, a very, I got, I got gifted courtside seats one time in life and let me tell you, it is a life-changing experience, y'all. It changed my life. I'm not, I'm not the same person anymore. Let me translate that into reality because I'm kidding, obviously, but this. So we know that glory, we know the glory is promised to us. God has already given you the solution to your suffering. The problem is not about the fairness of it. That's the wrong question. We have to decide whether or not we're gonna take God at his word when it comes to those things. And I know there's big suffering in the world, so we're gonna talk about that. The problem is, is, is whether or not we're gonna believe God when he says that there is glory waiting for us that, that is so amazing that the things we're going through right now do not even compare, do not even compare. And so for all of those of us who are suffering and wondering and navigating through our labyrinth of that, we're gonna see what Paul has to say to us today in his letter to the Romans. And here's today's sermon in a sentence. The trials that we endure will be dwarfed by the triumph that God has secured. The trials that you endure will be dwarfed by the triumph that God has secured. So Paul gives us two very simple things that I want you to see this morning. And the first one is this. The suffering of creation shows us that we need to keep our problems in perspective. The suffering of creation shows us that we need to keep our problems in perspective. Now look with me at verses 19 through 22. Let's go ahead and read those together. It says this. For the anxious longing of the creation, it waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. So, in short, what we wanna see here is this, is that our problems are not as big as we think they are. Now, this is gonna be hard for a lot of us to hear, and listen, it's hard for me to hear, 
And so as I was preparing this message this week, I wrestled with this. Because when I have problems in my life and suffering and trials, it's the biggest thing in the world. Especially in the way that we're wired to think right now. We're, we're wired to think in a way where we have these little computers that we put in our pockets and we turn them on. We take pictures of what we're eating and we think everybody cares about it. You know, we put videos on, on, on these things of us doing these dances and we think that everyone cares. And, and that's just the way that we're wired. And we think that the whole world is our audience. And so when, when, when something happens, when we stub our toe, we just want everyone to suffer with us. But it's also true, you know, when there are really big problems. And listen, this is, this is going to be hard to hear and it's hard to say. But the biggest problem that you can imagine, the biggest problem that you can imagine is not as big as you think it is. And I know that's hard. But that's what Paul's saying here with everything we just said, that the sufferings of today are not even worthy to be compared with the glory that's in store for us. That is a promise for you. It's a hope for you. And that is good, good, good medicine for us this morning. And so what he wants us to do is he wants us to kind of take a step back here at the very beginning as he's talking about suffering. And he wants us to understand that the problem of suffering is bigger than you because it is a cosmic problem. It is a very big problem. It's a problem that is, uh, that is attacking not just earth, but all of creation. So Mars is subjected to futility. Jupiter is subjected to futility. Planets and stars and solar systems and all those things that we haven't even discovered yet are subjected to futility. That's how big the problem of suffering is. So think about your, your problem right now and think about the fact that the problem of suffering extends to all of creation. And so you see that in verses 19 through 22. He says creation, 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 creation. Look with me in verse 19. For the anxious longing of creation. Verse 20. The creation was subjected to futility. Verse 21. The creation will be set free from slavery. Verse 22. We know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth. So he talks about the cosmic problem of suffering and it's creation. It is everything. Everything has been created. So therefore everything has been subjected to futility. And I want you to, to notice the dramatic language that he uses here to talk about this problem of suffering with creation. He, he first talks about being subjected to futility there in verse 20. The creation was subjected to this. That word futility means emptiness. It means vanity. Uh, it means devoid of purpose and, and lasting value. And so what he's talking about here is that whenever Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and they disobeyed God's word, it wasn't taking that fruit and biting it and eating it. That was the action. But the real true problem was not listening to what God had said about creation. And so they disobeyed God's word. And through that, in Romans 7, we, we learn that through that, that sin entered and has attacked all of creation. And now all of creation has been subjected to futility. It's lost its way. It was on a direction towards God's glory and now it's lost its way. And, there's, and the GPS is broken. And creation is just suffering and it's lost. And it doesn't, it's too prideful to ask for directions. That's what, that's what he means here. And then in verse 21, he, he says that not only has it lost its way, but it's been enslaved by, uh, uh, to corruption. Enslaved to corruption. And so it is, uh, it's not merely that it's futile or that it's lost its way. But now it's enslaved to this. And there's this process of degradation that it's going through where it's constantly 
becoming more and more futile, and it's constantly finding itself in uh, stronger and stronger chains. And then he leads to verse 22, which says, and this leads to groaning and suffering. And what's so fascinating about what he says in verse 22 is this, is that he personifies creation. So creation is no longer just this thing that is suffering, but now he's personified it and he's given it human emotion. And so creation is, uh, is suffering the pains of childbirth, in other words. It's groaning and it's aching and it's hurting. And, the, and this is a powerful image that Paul gives us. You know, um, p- creative people for years now have taken things and toys and food and they've personified it. And we've found ourselves relating to things like vegetables with the show Veggie Tales. I mean, whoever thought that we would look at a cucumber and a tomato and that we would feel empathy for them, that we would laugh at things they're saying. Um, what about Thomas the Train, who's really big in our house right now? You know, and, uh, and we see their little faces, and their little faces appeal to us as they're walking around doing tasks on the island of Sodor. What about Toy Story? How many of us cried, be honest, how many of you cried at the end of Toy Story 3, right? You know, I mean, Andy, <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, but Andy, you know, he's, he has these toys, and, and, and they personify Woody and Buzz and, and Rex and all these toys, and, and you f- start feeling for them. If you've not watched it, man, they do a great job with that. And, uh, and so they're afraid that they've become obsolete, and you're watching this, and you're thinking like, man, these are not, not only are they not real, not real people, but they're not even real toys. They're animated things on a screen, and I'm crying over this right now. And Andy, he gives his toys to Bonnie. He's going off to college, and he starts having this moment, right? And, uh, and so he looks at Woody, and he, be, and he says, and he gives Woody value. And he says, listen, let me tell you about this toy and how special this toy is. You know, and you can see in Woody's eyes that he's so grateful, you know, for, uh, for the value that he's been given by his, his owner. You know, and so that's what Paul's talking about here. He wants us to understand that when we look at creation, and we see creation, that, that we see things that, um, that help us to understand that suffering is bigger than what's happening merely to us. Because listen, the mountains are crying because they're suffering. They're weeping. The trees are aching. The stars are dying. And, and this point, this is the importance of this. It helps us to get a larger perspective about our problems. Because we realize that our problems are inside this context of suffering and we are not alone so we want to we wanna keep that kind of, our problems in that kind of perspective. But then, this is what's so beautiful about what Paul does here. And this is the second thing. That he, although the suffering of creation helps us to keep our problems in perspective, the suffering of humanity helps us to keep our perspective in our problems. And so, in verse 23, he begins to kind of turn it a little bit. And now, he, he gives us the whole canvas of, of creation, of the the moon and the stars and the mountains and the grass and the trees and the flowers and the animals. But then he says, but let's stop for a minute and let's think about one specific thing in creation. And that specific thing is people, humanity. And, uh, and so some of us might be thinking, well, you know, Pastor Jared, I hear what you're saying. But listen, my suffering, are, are you trying to say that my suffering doesn't matter because, because all of creation is suffering? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. In fact, that's the point, is that we want to keep our problems in perspective But we also want to keep our perspective and our problems. And the perspective is that you, of all of creation, you are more valuable than a mountain. 
You are more valuable than a star. You are more valuable than a planet. The largest, biggest, greatest planet that you can imagine, you're more valuable than that to God and all of his creation, and that matters. And what Paul wants us to do as he begins to turn in this passage is he wants to keep us, help us have that perspective in your problems and in your suffering that you're going through. Look with, with me at verse 23 when he says this. He says, and not only this, but also we ourselves. So he stops and he puts attention on you and your problems and your suffering. He moves from creation to humanity to show you that you have a unique place in all of creation. So in other words, when he's not focusing on dolphins, he's not focusing on apple trees, he's not focusing on clouds. Even though dolphins get eaten by sharks and apple trees wither and clouds dissipate, he's not focusing on any of that suffering. He decides to spend time on human suffering. And it's because you are made in God's image and you are a special, unique creation. And so he focuses on humanity in this, in this way. And in other words, he wants, he wants you to understand that your suffering matters. Your trials matter to God. In all of this, he wants you to know that God sees you. And he sees your suffering. This is especially seen with Jesus, who did not come to die for a mountain. He did not die on a cross for an apple tree or a dolphin. He died on the cross for you. So not only does God say this, but he has backed it up with his action. And this is what's meant there in verse 23 when he says this. Not only we ourselves, but we have what? The first fruits of the Spirit. Look there with me. The first fruits of the Spirit. What does he mean by this? Well, the first fruits in a biblical context refers to that initial harvest offering. And it symbolizes the promise and the anticipation of the harvest that is to come. In other words, the glory that is to come. We already have the first fruits of that, which is salvation. And so we are already able to have a relationship with the creator right now. That is a first fruit of the glory that is to come. And this is what it does for you, is it gives you a sort of sixth sense in this world to not only see and smell and taste and touch and, and all these other things, but you can actually commune with God relationally and you are able, you are able to have a relationship with him that helps you navigate the suffering of this world. You have meaning and you have purpose, and it helps you to navigate through this world. I've shared this with you before, but let me kind of uh, revisit it for just a minute, just to remind us. You know, there are psychiatrists out there that try to uh, disassociate suffering and trials from what Paul is saying here, from the idea of, of the creation being subjected to futility and any idea of God being a part of any of that. And so Sigmund Freud, for one example, he, uh, he suggested that the major method of human motivation is pleasure. That everything we do, everything we go after is all about pleasure. And, uh, and that, was his, uh, that was his solution to everything. was, well, yes, suffering happens, but go out, eat, drink, and have fun and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But then there was this man named Viktor Frankl, who was a Holocaust survivor, who went through one of the greatest acts of suffering in the history of our world, of human civilization. And he walks through that, and he comes out, he's also a psychiatrist, he comes out of that, and he writes this book called Man's Search for Meaning. First, first half of it is all about the Holocaust and the trials and suffering he went through. The second half of it is a theory for how someone can navigate through that. And here's what he has to say. He says, no, you don't, you don't just pursue pleasure in order to overcome suffering. He said, actually, when you are pursuing that, 
it's because you're distracting yourself because you've missed the true meaning of life, which is meaning and purpose and value. So what Viktor Frankl suggested, and he took all of these Holocaust survivors who, who were taking their own lives because of the suffering they had gone through, and he ran them through this, this other kind of methodology, which is about finding meaning in life, and not a single one of them took their life. And so when you look at this, you and I know, since we've talked about general revelation, Viktor Frankl not being someone necessarily who confesses Jesus as Lord, has stumbled upon a truth that God has embedded in creation, which is that man intrinsically has meaning and value. And that meaning and value is a relationship with God through Jesus that helps us to know that our suffering does not exist in an existential vacuum without any kind of meaning. So when we lose a loved one or whenever we uh, experience an illness or a terminal diagnosis or whatever it may be, we know that those kinds of things don't just happen apart from any kind of God who isn't thinking about you and who doesn't care about you. We know that all those things are happening and that that's not the problem. The problem is that we are experiencing it as we wait for glory. So we're sitting in the nosebleeds wondering, God, this hurts But we know that one day we're gonna sit on the front row of the throne room of God and Jesus Christ is just gonna be an arm's length away. We know that. We hold on to that today. And that's the hope that Paul wants us to understand here. So the results there in verse 23 is this, that you can, look with me, wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. You can wait for it eagerly. You can wait for it in that kind of way. And so really what he wants us to know is this, is that you not only can wait, You can not only survive in the wait, but you can thrive as you're waiting because you don't suffer without hope. You can actually thrive as you are waiting. I want you to notice that in verses 24 and 25, he says hope five different times in two verses. Real real quick trick, when you're reading the scriptures and there's a word that pops up a whole bunch of times, it means that God wants to emphasize it for you. So look at verse 24. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, For who hopes for what he already sees, but if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. Do you see the word there, hope, 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 hope? In other words, Paul uh, Paul wants you to know that hope is the thing that he wants you to have in front of you as you undergo these trials and tribulations. Anyone seen the movie, uh, The Terminal with Tom Hanks in it? And he plays Victor Noworski, and he's a man without a home. It's a great movie if you haven't seen it. And Victor Noworski, it's based on a true story, by the way. And Victor, Victor Noworski, he's leaving his home country, and while he is in the airport terminal in New York, he, uh, his country loses basically status as a country. So now his passport uh, cannot be recognized. So he cannot, leave, he cannot leave the airport, but he cannot go back home either. So what does he do? He just has to live in the terminal. That theologically is profound. Think about it. He's just waiting. He doesn't have a home. He's just there. Now, he has a couple of choices. He can either just kind of give up, throw a temper tantrum, shake his fist to the heavens, and be upset that he's waiting, or he can have hope. And he has hope, and as you watch the movie, he does all these things. He aids the support staff. He creates relationship. He even learns English. He finds work, and in this waiting room of life, Victor Noworski makes the best of it as he hopes to go home one day, and he does. You know, the scriptures promise you that one day you're gonna go home. It promises you that one day you will no longer suffer. 
you will no longer go through trials and tribulations, but that you will be home with Jesus. This is what God wants for you. So I want you to remember as we get ready to close this, that the problem is not the suffering for us. God already has solved that. The problem is that we have to wait for the glory to be revealed. And I want you to look at one little word there in verse 18 as he tells us about the waiting. And the word is this. The waiting with the suffering that comes along with it, he says, they are not worthy to be compared. Look at that word worthy. That's qualified with the word not. Not worthy. Not worthy to be compared. Now, I could sit here and tell you what that word means in the Greek, but I figured what I would do is I would show you. So just bear with me for just a second. So I brought my, uh, my bathroom scale with me. And um, now remember, they say the, the camera adds 10 pounds and I have about one, two, three, four of them on me. So, <laughs> so I'm gonna stand on this. And you know, a scale is designed, 186.4 is what it says. So a scale is designed to measure your weight. Your weight is designed to, to measure a very specific part of creation, you. Okay, it can measure a whole bunch of things, but there, there are many things that it, that it just, that it can't weigh. And so I brought with me also from my desk, some pencil shavings, all right? So let me just grab a handful of these. Let's just put these on the scale with me, and let's call these problems and suffering. And let's call this, this scale that we are entering into the abode of eternal glory, and we're bringing these pencil shavings with us, these sufferings that we've experienced, and now we're gonna come back here and we're coming, we're stepping into heaven with all these problems and suffering and the scale is gonna be true and it's gonna weigh us and as the, as the weight comes up, what we have here is this, the exact same measurement. In other words, these sufferings, they don't even count. They, there's, no, there's no measurement to them. And so what Paul wants us to understand when, whenever we're, we're thinking about our suffering and the problems and the trials that we go through is this, it can't even be measured because the glory of God is so amazing, it's so profound, it's so wonderful that you're gonna look at these things as if they're pencil shavings. That's what Paul is telling us here. And listen, I don't know what all is waiting for us in glory, but I know this, Jesus is gonna be there, and I know this, that it's gonna last forever. And I know this, that's good enough for me. I don't need to know any more than that. If that's all there is, that's enough for me. Jesus, God, in the flesh, the one who died and redeemed me and gave me grace and gave me mercy and gave me forgiveness of my sins, you mean I get to, to, to be that close to him? And you mean to tell me that I get to do that forever? And you mean to tell me that I'll never have to worry about suffering again? Count me in. That's what Paul's saying here. That's why the sufferings of this day, while big, while God sees them, while they hurt, that's why they won't have any kind of measurement in heaven. So when we look at our lives through the lens of eternity, we find that the trials we face, though they may be all-consuming now, they're just pencil shavings. 
And so the trials we endure today will be dwarfed by the triumph that God has secured. So here's what I have for you, believer. If you're someone who trusts in Jesus Christ, if you're someone who trusts in Jesus Christ, you have great hope today. So maybe this morning, your whole life right now lately has just been kind of inundated with trials and they're starting to define you a little bit. You find yourself just thinking more about the trials than you are glory. And you're thinking of your, uh, of your life as something that has just been kind of being tanked by all these things and all you're doing is focusing on these trials. Can I just encourage you today to hold on to the hope that God's word has given us to hold on to the glory that's in front of us as you wait eagerly? Because guess what? You get to wait eagerly. That's a hope for you. It's not a hope for a mountain. It's not a hope for a tree. It's not the hope for the dolphin. It's the hope for you. If you're someone who's not ever trusted in Jesus, then I want you to know, and this is for believers too, there's someone who waited also when he underwent some of the greatest suffering that you can imagine. In fact, the greatest act of evil that's ever happened in the history of creation is the, an innocent person, the only innocent person who's ever lived named Jesus, who suffered and died on the cross. And you could say that wasn't fair for him to die. But if he didn't die, then you couldn't live. And so the lack of fairness applied to Jesus' life is what actually gives us hope today. So if you've never put your faith in Jesus, then all you have is suffering. We try to remove God from the equation with the problem of evil, but all you have left is suffering without any hope. But God is part of the equation, and he's not left us without hope. And this morning, we need to put our hope in Jesus, whether we've never done that before, or even if we have, maybe we need to stop and do it again and just say, God, I've lost sight and it's time for me to put my eyes back on you. This altar is gonna be open for you this morning. If you need to give your life to Jesus, we wanna encourage you to go on the website, click I want to know more about Jesus, and uh, that will come directly to me, and I'd love to engage with you about that. But maybe you're here and you're a believer, and you just need to bend your knee at this altar and have a conversation with the Lord before you leave this place today and say, Lord, I've been inundated with suffering, but I'm ready to have your perspective in my problems I'm ready to, to get back and know and hold on to the hope that I have of glory that's in front of me. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for the goodness that you offer us today. Lord, I know that right now our problems seem as big as mountains. But God, when we step on the scale of heaven, we're gonna find that there's something more like pencil shavings that they can't even be weighed. So Lord, I look around this room this morning as the pastor of this uh, flock, and I can look around and see this person lost a loved one. This person has been diagnosed with this illness. This person has gone through terrible suffering. And God, we know that some of the suffering in this world is unbearable. And those problems are legitimately big and sad. And I think that's what makes this message so much more profound for us that you've given us. Because it's the worst thing, God, that can happen to someone according to what you've told us with this word that it can't even compare. 
So Lord, help us to hold on to that as we suffer, as we wait. We need it. Help us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. At Tate Springs, we believe God is telling a story of redemption that can only be found in Jesus Christ. If you'd like more information on how you can have that kind of a relationship, please visit tatesprings.com and let us know. We love you and want to help you discover your part in God's story.